This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. We're nearing the end of the week. It's Friday the 7th of July 2023. And today it's all about you. Not you, priest. Me. The, the other you. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hello, Sean Priest. How are you today? Don't say it in that way, like you're utterly sick of me already. Can you believe it's already the 7th? I know. Of July. This of is July. Cr- like, it's crazy talk. A week done already. Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, I think the uh, progress bar on the oh, uh, computer progress bar of life has just gone past 50%. Yeah, if you're an NVIDIA user, we are in the beep, 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 <laughs> section of my life. Oh, dear. Oh, that's, that's very good. I wish I wish Jaws would bring that in. That is, that is probably the best feature of NVDA. I love that progress bar beep. I just love it. I would like to say that's a ridiculous statement, but you're absolutely right. When I did switch over to Jaws for a bit, I really, really missed it. I spent most of my time trying to find a way to put it back in. But it's just not there, is it? No, and there's nothing really like it. I mean, even narrator doesn't have it. Voiceover certainly. Voiceover's terrible for progress bars. Yeah, you just get no idea what's going on. You just got a VO left and right a few times and hope that it reads it out. Yeah, but what it does is it reads out the progress bar. It'll give you the percentage, but what it'll also do is it'll tell you the say it's like a hundred gig or something. So why you transfer that? I don't know. But if you're transferring a hundred gig, let's say it'll say two gig of hundred gig. Three minutes remaining. It's yes. quite verbose, you know. You oh, just want I like to know. That. I'm no. Like, no, no, I want the information. Well, you get the information and you get the percentage as well. But I want beeps. I'd like I a nice kind of beep, 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 beep. beep, I like beep, 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 beep. It's like you're pouring out a nice, relaxing glass of wine. Beeps. I like it. <laughs> Big glass of beep. That's what I'm all for. Uh, so, look, a lot of people have been asking me this week about Twitter. Mm. I think you've all been expecting me to go on some mad rant. And I kind of thought I would because I, I, as soon as the week started and Elon was playing with his servers again, and I thought, here we go. I just knew. I just knew it was coming. Every tweet was, oh, Twitter's dead again. Oh, Twitter's dead again. Oh, knickers in the air. Um, and I think, you know, that's <laughs> Can okay. we say that? I, I, AMI lawyers? Is that a thing? But yeah, everyone gets all excited about it. And I'm like, you know what? I, again, I don't think Twitter's dying. I just don't think it's dying. There doesn't seem to be any evidence to suggest that people are coming off the platform in their droves. And also there's no real suggestion that they're going anywhere else either. And even if they were, you know, because interesting, the whole Mastodon question comes up in our community because everyone seems to think that Mastodon will be the replacement for blind people on on some kind of social network, right? Mm. And I can kind of see the argument to some degree, but I think for me what I'm feeling is that Mastodon as a platform in and of itself is not going to be any replacement for Twitter for the general public. It just isn't. It may become a place where a lot of blind people like to be, like Clubhouse was for a while. Um, But I think long term, if you want to get your message out to a lot of people, then Mastodon is not the place to go. And I think it's, it's important to think about this, not just from a personal perspective, but from a business perspective as well, right? Because I was thinking, I was reading an interesting article on this. And it was making the point that disabled people often are self-employed. There are a lot of self-employed disabled people out there because we just don't get jobs in other fields. And this is certainly the case in blind world. Yes. So a lot of people do go off and become self-employed. And as a result of that, what happens is we need to find ways to market ourselves. And social media is the best way to do that, right? Because it's ultimately free to some degree anyway. So you can go on and you can promote yourself, you can promote your brand, you can promote what you do to a wide range of different people. If you are going on to a social network, like even an advertiser, if you think about advertising, and if an advertiser is going to go onto a platform to promote something, they want to go to the place with the biggest audience. And Mastodon doesn't have a big audience. It's got, what, maybe two... I mean, there's rumours flying around. I hear all these ridiculous numbers, like 10 million people are on... Uh, Mastodon. And I, I don't think that's true. I think the true think number is roughly around two and a half million. Mm. And then you've got, you know, and that is that is actually, and this is important, that's actually the number of active or 
uh, what do they call it? The the actual accounts that are on there. Yeah, active yeah. accounts is a different thing, is entirely right because exactly. you've got a bunch of people yes. who, are, who maybe have got an account, That's they've maybe me. set one up. Like, we, well, exactly, and you're not alone. Yes. A lot of people set up an account and never went back to it. Yeah, but you can't count that as a daily user. So, I don't think there's a huge number of people on there to start with. So, advertisers aren't going to be that interested. Everyone keeps asking on Mastodon. All the people I follow keep asking for the big news providers and other organisations to get over there. But if the audience isn't large, why would you put the effort in and the time in? And Twitter, despite its faults, is still the place to be. Now, is hmm. that forever? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball that can tell me whether or not this is going to be a forever thing or not. We've seen threads come along, which you know apparently has, has arrived. I've not seen it yet in my app store, but then I haven't checked today. Yesterday no. when I checked, the only one I could find was one that said not affiliated with Instagram. So I haven't touched that one because I assume it's got <laughs> either nothing to do with the threads from a meta, which is coming out. And they're saying the threads will be the Twitter competitor. It will be, you know, th the same kind of app, the same kind of social network. That could be interesting. But sanely run, <laughs> they said. Well, again, I, 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 people get all excited about this. I'm not entirely convinced about this, this idea that it's going to be any more sanely run. At the end of the day, you have to remember people are on this network, actual people. And you can blame the algorithms, you can blame anything you like, but I don't think that this is entirely the problem. People have to put the content in there. And I think there's an argument that says that social media, no matter what it is, will always be reflective of the society we're in. And that is a mixture of good and bad. If you think yeah. there's a social network that's just you know going no, to be no, heavenly no. and angelic, then I'm sorry, but you're, you're living in fantasy land. Well, if you find one like that, then it's going to be heavily moderated, right? And then there's complaints about restriction of free speech in that case. So, yes, of course, it's always going to be a mixture of things, social media. It's, but I'm not sure. I think the sanely run is perfectly valid, to be fair, in this instance, because every time Elon makes a decision, it, it just seems utterly bizarre at this moment when it comes to Twitter. Um, you know, limiting the amount of tweets that people can see right now, at a huge margin between those who pay for Twitter and those who don't. It's all about so far trying to, it seems to be, claw back some of that 44 billion or whatever it was and, and trying to make Twitter as profitable as possible. And that, that makes sense from a business point of view. But you can't deny it's been a bit of a PR disaster, Twitter. And I'm not sure. I think a lot of it's to do with apathy, right? You're, you're so right that Twitter is so mature that people have built up a community there, a following or whatever you want to call it, a presence. But switching away from that is scary. And starting from nothing is really scary, especially when we're not sure what is going to be the next thing, if there is ever going to be a next thing. Is it going to be Mastodon? Is it going to be Threads? Is it going to be, what's the other one? Blue Sky? Uh, Clear Blue? I don't know what it is. Um, is that not a pregnancy test? It is, yes. Everything is, <laughs> <laughs> everything is up in the air at the moment. So I think people are just purely from either apathy or just not knowing where to jump to. They are, if you like, stuck on Twitter. But I've got to say, my, my thoughts on Elon Musk have changed drastically since this Twitter, um, well, ridiculousness, to be quite fair. Really? After everything that's gone on, this is the this is it. This is the one thing that it made is. you no, no, absolutely. He sacked the entire accessibility team. Ah, it's fine. No, no, yeah, he, all of you know, that though. He, he got rid of all this. You know, he changed the the platform. He made it. You know, he did manage to solve a lot of the bot problem, but in some respects, I think he's actually made it worse because I'm followed by more bots than anything else. How do you know he solved it? I mean, there's no well, way. I'm saying he hasn't solved it. He hasn't solved it. No, I, look, what I'm saying is when he was. You know, pushing all this. It was like on the bleeding, cutting edge of technology with Tesla. Everyone was blown away. And the, the chances he took and the way he marketed and the technology he introduced was utterly amazing. And then it comes to something like Twitter. And you see some of these unfiltered thoughts and statements that he makes. And you think, what on earth are you doing? Yeah, but uh, I'm not, I, again, if you want a platform that is about free speech... 
And look, I am not suggesting for a second Elon Musk is 100% behind the idea of free speech because we've seen things be cancelled, quiet, and people shut down on that platform as well. So, you know, no one is 100% clearly on free or, or, or He's certainly not 100% on free speech in that case. Um, but I think that, you know, if he wants to have an opinion on his own platform, he should be allowed to do that. I mean, he paid enough for it. I mean, I yeah, think it's he's- not the opinion I care about. It's not the opinion. It's the decisions he makes. As you said, the accessibility issue, right? The, 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 the time he... I don't know how to phrase this in a nice way. The time he, let's say, disrespectful to that disabled ex-Twitter employee. Mm. His whole attitude towards people and the the, the 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 way he runs his business, I just find it uh, really, I don't know, distasteful at best. But that's separate from the actual platform itself, as you rightly said. So mature and people have a big, I mean, it's been around for years, right? People have built up big numbers on there and they're scared to lose that. We, we had this argument, I'm not going to have it again, but we had the whole discussion uh-huh. on... <laughs> We had the whole discussion on the principles of this and, you know, people saying to me, well, you know, if you're not willing to come off Twitter, then clearly you're a man of no principle and all this nonsense. And look, okay, whatever, right? You believe that, you believe that. That is up to you. But at the end of the day, we can always find fault with something. And there are lots of companies doing lots of things that I'm sure if we knew every single thing these companies were doing, we'd probably think was pretty horrendous. But, you know, no one's getting rid of, you know, their phones or their tablets or their drinks or their favorite coffees because, you know, a company's done something wrong to their staff mm-hmm. or they've not treated their staff. They've not stopped buying online because the store online maybe doesn't, you know, treat their workers that well. We still buy from these companies. We still use these companies. So let's not pretend this is any different. At the end of the day, we get what we need from the services we get. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second if a company does something absolutely horrific, we shouldn't act. I'm with you on that. But at the end of the day, this is a social network. And for the people who use it, especially in our disabled community, there are a lot of people who really value this. It might be their only connection with other people. It might be their only way to promote themselves to the biggest audience possible. And we have to remember that. And the idea that there's a social network somewhere else that is any different. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but I've been on Mastodon for a while now. And I mean... It's a nice place to some degree. I don't follow that many people on there, but I am not seeing the respectful, pleasant green uplands that get sold to me as Mastodon. I see plenty of people who've got plenty to say, who are argumentative, who've got things to say, and that's fine. Um, People are people wherever you go, and I think that's the important thing to remember here. So... Whether threads will be any different or not, I think what we're where we're at really with this is what's the next accessible version of Twitter? That's I think the bigger question. That's maybe bigger than anything else. Where else mm-hmm. could we go that is going to be accessible for us? Now it might not be Mastodon. It might not be uh, well. I don't know. I mean, certainly not going to be Instagram for us or TikTok, right? Well, that's what scares me about threads. I'm not entirely sure with this Instagram connection. I'm going to see check this mm. out over the weekend. Yeah, But anyway, uh, like I say, I mean, I, I don't have any more to say than that. I mean, it's, I, I just feel like I go around in circles when I start on this yeah. because uh, there's no more, not much more I can say other than, as far as I'm concerned, Twitter is a very useful place for me and it, it remains to be. Have I noticed any massive difference? No, not really. I mean, it, it was always a cesspit. I just, I have low expectations for social media. So I always get, I, and those low expectations, they're always met. <laughs> Again, though, we're talking about the content. What about the decision to limit the amount of tweets you see? Have you noticed that have an effect on your he wants Twitter to make money? Yet? He wants to monetize. Yeah, no, this I get platform. that, but that's, that's that... all this. That's all this is. And Don't like look I any say, deeper than that. That's all. The majority it is. of us are apathetic against any of this. You're absolutely right. There's big companies that may be doing something that you think is morally distasteful or whatever. That until it affects us directly. 99% of us are apathetic. We, you know, well, it's not affecting me right now. What I'm saying is those those effects and decisions that he's making right now, like limiting the amount of tweets that you actually see, is that pushing you towards subscribing? Is it working? Is it a good business decision? Are you noticing that it gives you a worse Twitter experience? I don't know. I don't use it enough. Well, as plenty of people have told me, and I do agree with this, the market decides. If the market goes for it, then it's a success. 
Yep. If it's well, early days with this, yeah, we will see. We but will see. Whilst it is, it's still going and it's still strong. Mm-hmm. Important to know that. Important to realise that. Uh, Julian got in touch. Negative Julian. He um, he sent me a message about an article which I did actually read, Julian, just before, funnily enough, I read your email, uh, which was uh, from the BBC News in the UK. And it was an interesting article because it says that sales of smart speakers have fallen off a cliff as customers cut back and trade down on electrical items. This is the boss of Curry's in the UK. Curry's is like the equivalent of Best Buy in uh, the US and Canada. Uh, Curry's report, uh, the sales overall fell 7% in the year to 29th April as people bought cheaper goods due to the rising cost of living. Shoppers also bought more products on credit to spread their costs. Um, The managing director, Alex Baldock, said people aren't as interested in Amazon devices as they used to be. Um, and some people are saying that's rather surprising, as many people predict and many analysts have been predicting a boom in smart speakers. But the firm said that a surge, after a surge in sales during the first stages of the COVID pandemic, people were not upgrading. In fact, they were being careful with their money. Now, that's an interesting article because it's kind of putting two things next to each other. And I don't know if I'd necessarily say they're both connected. Because you're on one hand, what's being suggested here is that the cost of living is going up, which is absolutely true, and people are being more careful with their money. That is influencing their decision to buy, not a lack of interest in the device. And I think that's where I would maybe see these two devices, maybe dissect a little bit. It's making a bit of an assumption there. Uh, Maybe it's not necessarily the the reason, as you said. I mean, the reason could simply be more people are just buying them off Amazon itself (laughs) rather than Curry's. Who buys a smart speaker from a store anymore? I mean, I I don't know. But also, I mean, why would anyone need to update? You know, and once once smart speakers have reached a, a market saturation now, which is immense, it's huge. There's millions and millions and millions out there. So, you know, how many times do you want to upgrade your smart speaker? Because it's still the same assistant, you know, on whatever speaker you're using. So, what actually makes anyone want to buy a new one? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't no hear this. Features. I didn't hear this interview that was on uh, BBC Radio, but um, but the headline kind of gives us away because it, it, it talks about the fact that smart speakers don't have built-in obsolescence. That was no. what the headline was actually in the article, which I thought was interesting because that actually that, that that's not featured. That comment isn't featured in the article. But what is interesting to me is that is part perhaps of the problem of the smart speaker world is that. They do last for a long time. I still have downstairs one of the original dot. It was the original dot, and it oh, works I love fun. those powered by USB, which is yep. incredibly handy because those plug-in ones—they're huge. They stick out of your wall a mile. That's right. I love the USB powered ones, you and it just- had a headphone jack as well. Yeah, yeah, true. So, you know, you had that option. But yeah, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, the sound off them, terrible. That's why there was a headphone jack in yes, them, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. Because uh, yeah. the sound wasn't brilliant, but they do work fine and still works to this day. Now, is it as fast? Is it as responsive as the latest one? I'd say there's about a half second difference. But for most people, you're not going to notice that. So nice. you could have these original dots in your home for years. And you, you it, could. it's not like the HomePods. I don't know about Google Nest. I feel that, and I think Google Nest has fallen off a cliff, if I'm being totally honest, because they didn't even mention it at I.O. this year. No. There was no, <laughs> as if it didn't exist. Which is a bit weird. It's funny, though. The actual service they provide, as in I'm talking about the Amazon Echo here, mm. um, has dipped dramatically. Not not the sales so much. I don't care about those. I'm talking about the actual um, usability of it. Uh, so many times it will crash or a skill won't work. You know, the cuts that they've made has obviously had a huge impact on the performance of these smart speakers. Um that could be just a, as a valid a reason as to people are saying, you know, they're just not working as well as they, they could. Um, Julian totally agrees with you on that. That's one of his comments in his email was, he said, you know, part of the reason could be people are realising how bad the experience is and they just don't want to upgrade, thinking that, well, I'm not going to upgrade, spend more money on a device and I end up with the equal experience and I've just dropped money yeah. on it. Yeah, no, absolutely true. They really need to move into this AI, which they keep talking about experience, because it, it's it was stagnant for so long, the performance of the uh, Echo Assistants. And lately, over the last couple of years, it's actually dipped and got worse and worse and worse. So, yeah, they need to do something. 
Uh, the boss of Curry is also went on to talk about uh, shoppers trading down to buy lower value items, which included televisions, smaller kitchen appliances like kettles, where uh, he says an entry level product still boils water for you. Uh, he said he was op- wary of optimism about consumer spending power in the coming year. Uh, they say, say that more of their customers are using credit to buy more expensive products, particularly if they thought it could save them money in the long term. For example, energy-efficient washing machines, although more expensive up front, would save money as bills soared. Um, and apparently 18% of goods at the chain were bought this way in, the, in this particular year, compared with 13% in the previous Only 18? Year. Wow. Mm. <laughs> if, uh, I think that was if, higher, wouldn't you? If credit is available... I am getting it, especially if it's interest-free. Of course I am. Um, yeah, well, look, the cost of living globally is just incredible at the minute. It's ridiculous, right? Everyone's struggling. Energy costs over here in particular in the UK is ridiculous. So, of course, but this happens every time there's some sort of recession or economic dip. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Of course, I think we're, we're, inside, more- we're inside our UK bubble here, though, and I, I think that I'd be interested to see what, what the picture is in Canada with this because uh, I'm not going to suggest, Canada, that you are in a better financial position than the UK. But uh, to be perfectly honest, if you were living under a bridge in Canada right now, you'd be in a better financial (laughs) position than we are in the UK right now. So you probably are, I think, is is fair to say. But, you know, cost of living is still a reality across the world uh, at different and varying levels in different countries. But it's still a factor. There's a global recession that clearly is is happening at the moment. And that is down to the fact that we shut the world down for two years. And, you know, that is going to have an impact on everything. Um, But, you know, in saying that, you know, I'd be intrigued to see what the sales are. Because I I think in, I mean, in Canada, am I right in saying this, that it was the Google Home that came first? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's much more popular, at least at the beginning. Yeah. Much more popular than the Echo. I wonder if that's swung round. I'd love to know some stats on that. Yeah. I'd love to know that. If only there's a way to know. Uh, uh, but there's, there's no absolutely way. no Let way we know. can research Feedback that. Feedback at doubletoponair.com. If we get two million emails, then we can work it out. <laughs> you can go through those. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, get some comments on uh, the week so far. And uh, Robbie gets in touch to talk to us about Ira. Hey, what's up, Double Tappers? Robbie here from Hamilton, Ontario. I saw the, uh, po- the um, post episode about Ira and that they're going to um, they're gonna be keeping the legacy plan for a good year. Now, I just wanted to share my thoughts on this. I think that's a, that's a good idea. I honestly do. I think that's a genius, a genius idea. Uh, Steven and Sean, I was just wondering, can you guys remind me what the legacy plan is? <laughs> because I have been so confused with Ira with the latest price changes and things like that that happened oh, you know, over a few months. But, um, you know, nevertheless, um, I'm very happy that they're keeping it. Um, I do have to say, though, I hope that they get more access partners because, like, I, I had to stop my subscription to IRA because I was paying, like, 140-something U.S. every month. And in Canada, we don't have Canadian currency. It's all in U.S. currency, whereas you guys in the U.K., you and uh, Sean, you guys probably have it in UK dollars, but you know, correct me if I, you know, if I'm wrong here. Um, but um, we need more IRA access partners because this is just my opinion. They're not great um, because there are a lot of blind people out there, as we all know, who cannot afford it. You know, they can't afford those high prices. So I really hope that they get more access partners uh, to come on. Anyway, that was just my thoughts about Ira. Love you guys so much. I'm in the works of starting my own podcast, Check Your Blind Spot. So I'll uh, be sure to let you guys know when that comes out. But and nevertheless, thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Um, all the best uh, from uh, all the best out from to all the people out there in the UK and US. And uh, this is Robbie from Canada saying peace out. Oh, thank you so much. Lovely to hear from you. And uh yeah. Thank you for, for the question and the comment. And now, in terms of the original legacy plans, good luck finding those prices. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to be an easy thing to do. And, and I noticed you said in there that you came away from IRA. So I'm assuming that means you no longer have a subscription. So that is going to be a problem for you, Robbie, because you don't 
you are not able to go back on to a legacy plan now if you've come away from the legacy plan. That's the problem. So if you had a legacy plan and you still have it, maybe you've downgraded it at the moment, that's okay. You can stay on that and you'll be able to stay on that now until January 2025. But if you have come away from this, as I did, and it was actually a mistake on my part, I had switched to a new bank account and with the new bank, new card, and I was doing the catch-up game of, what's falling off as a result of the old card being attached. You know, you use your card sometimes and you just forget what's attached to what. So I was like, oh, is that card on there? And then I got an email through saying, oh, we've cancelled your subscription. You have to reapply. And I thought, oh, no, I've missed the... Oh, Well, that's the point, though, isn't it? I mean, it was just the term legacy. I, I was kind of confused what that meant, but it does mean anyone who was had a subscription before the price change was announced. So anyone yes. from that cutoff point which was, I can't remember when it was, but anyone who's joined a new subscriber to uh, IRA under the new price plan, that that's you're a new subscriber. Anyone before that price rise is legacy. And if you keep that going, you still keep paying the price that you originally paid. And look, there's lots of different plans on there, starting 15 minutes for $65. 15 um, minutes? Oh, I know, you can burn difficult. through that. It's really difficult. Um, $210 for 50, that's on plan... Uh, silver three stars. I mean, this is all a bit weird to me. Gold one star, two star, three star. Platinum one, two, three. Uh, the top one is eight hundred monthly minutes, uh, two thousand nine hundred dollars. See, look, this is month. really tricky because I was I, I hear that and I hear the stars and the platinum and that sort of price and I go, that is absolutely ridiculous. But at the same time, how do you pay for a service like this? How how else do they get their money in? Do we just say this is too expensive? It, it's gone, and we no one can use it. I, well, I the, the answer is that, the, the answer, answer is access is. partners. If more companies get involved with Ira, but how long can they wait? How long well, before the that? that the, you know what is, what's the magic number of access partners before we see a decrease in price, which means that more of us could actually subscribe? I don't know. And what's the magic number that people would be happy with to pay for a subscription? It's, it's so well, difficult. I think it's 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 always hard to know the right number, but something tells me we'd know it if we heard it, and I don't think we've heard it. That would be my take on it. I think there's I, maybe the previous plans were closer to it. There's an argument to say that if you know down the line, if I were smart, what they would do is they would actually return the subscriptions back to what were their legacy plans. Because weirdly enough, when someone tells you you're going to pay a hundred dollars for something and suddenly you're paying fifty again. You feel okay about that? It's all psychological, really. I mean, you're yeah, still, yeah, so. one hand, you're not happy paying $50, but then you learn you're paying $100, <laughs> and then you learn you're paying $50 again, and you feel like you're saving I'm money. I'm happy. I've saved $50. <laughs> yeah, I no, just, just I... not spent 50 but yeah, yeah, okay. How many minutes is adequate a, a, a day? Well, that's, uh, that's the other thing, 10 yeah. minutes a day doesn't sound like a lot, but that's you know, over a month. What's that, 300 minutes? Well, how are you using it? Because you're using it just now. I'm what? using it incredibly sparingly. That's yeah. how I'm using it. And I'm only using it when I utterly need to, um, for, for whatever reason. I barely use it because I'm so scared of using the minutes. Yeah. And that's another issue, right? And look how we're doing it. Right? You and I are sharing minutes. That's how we're doing it just now, just to yeah. kind of manage the cost. We are sharing it together. And, a lot, and that's advisable for a lot of people. If you can't do it yourself, maybe club up with a couple of people. You know, and and maybe you all put the money in together. We shouldn't really have to do it that way. No, no, no. I think I th- I'd look. Shh. If I don't like that, then that's on Shh. them, right? But I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the, the the cost of this is way over the cost of an individual and what they can probably pay. Considering we've just talked about people not buying a fifty quid smart speaker. Yes, you know, but we're expecting people to pay thousands of dollars for a service they can't afford. I mean, but but absolutely would need and and benefit from. That's the that's the problem here. You know, yeah. on one hand, if the service wasn't any good, you could write it off and say, do you know what? Forget it. I'll just live with Be My Eyes and that's fine. But it's not. I mean, as, as wonderful as Be My Eyes is, there are times you really need that IRA support. There are things Absolutely. that IRA can do. IRA desktop is a saviour to me. Yes. The yeah. amount of times I'm like, what is this splash screen? It keeps telling us. still got it. What is this splash screen on my uh, PC? I don't know what it's doing. It's been sitting there for about five weeks. I have <laughs> yes. no idea what it's doing. And, you know, they're able to get in and see it and say, mm-hmm. oh, it's this or it's that. I can kill that process. I can fix that for you. And it's done. No one else can do that for me. And that is brilliant. So, you know, and I, I can pay for that service and I can feel proud to use that service because I'm not burdening someone else 
to do that. And I like that aspect. But, you know, I just feel that, so that makes it worthwhile. But if it was a service that was terrible, if it wasn't able to provide that, then I'd say, fine. I would, no way would I pay for it and the company would die. The reason it's still alive and well is because people see the value in it. But there comes a point, and bear in mind, it's important to remember this, there will be a number of people, probably I would say the majority of subscribers to Ira, who are not on these new plans that we're talking about. Yes. If they were forced to be on it tomorrow, I would genuinely worry for the future of Ira. I think that's perfectly fair. Yeah, I think that's valid. And I think they know that. Hence why they're, they're making that decision to, to keep it till, keep the legacy plans running until 2025 earliest. Mm-hmm. I just want to go back on my legacy plan. Anyway, um, oh, why? shows the kind of pool I don't have around here. Uh, <laughs> right, listen, stick around. More of your feedback coming up. Uh, we've managed to get through one message so far. Well done, us. We're great, aren't we? Uh, stick around, it's Double Tap. It's all about you. Honest, it's all about you. <laughs> Connect with the Double Tappers on social media now, on Twitter and Facebook at Double Tap On Air, and on Mastodon at Double Tap. Yeah, lots of you getting in touch on email, feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can also drop us, uh, I say drop you a voicemail, that didn't make sense. Call us and leave us a voicemail. That's what you're supposed to say. I don't like that. No, that sounds too formal. Drop us a voicemail. I like that. Well done, you. Yeah, drop a voicemail. How would you even drop a voicemail? I go drop a beat. No, I'm not even going to start that. Oh, I don't, I'm yeah, not young enough. Don't. I'm not young <laughs> enough to pretend to be young enough to I do that. I say jump in the shower. I'm just going to jump in the shower. And, uh, Sarah, and why do I, we say that? Because uh, it makes sense to me. I'm going to jump in. It gives that sense of urgency of being quick. And she says, you haven't jumped for about 25 years. You're not <laughs> jumping. She picks me up on it every time. It drives me crazy. Yeah, but she's right, though, isn't she? I mean, that's the yeah, thing. No, yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. Yeah. Shh, don't say that. No. Just, just let's pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, shall we get uh, a couple of emails? And so we've got uh, Camille, we who has uh, gotten in touch with us. Now, Camille is wanting to talk to us about the longevity of embossers. As always, Laura reads our emails. Sean mentioned that embossers are great in the sense they work forever. Well, that is not the case. After not being used for a while, the oil that was used to lubricate the mechanism hardens and all the components are now seized. As a volunteer at the Saskal Pioneers, I would see them being dropped off by the CNIB in hope of being revived. Very few were, since these embosses consist of many parts and cleaning them meant a lot of work, not to mention reassembling them. I would also like to say that Grace is doing an excellent job on Saturday's Express show – I was wondering if Mr. F would consider having her as, you know, host of the Double Tap show. Hey. I think that would be great. <laughs> Lol. Camille. Uh, uh, no. um, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Oh, he's nodding at that one. Oh, I don't uh, like that at all. That's, well, that's not good. Fair, she would be amazing at it. Of course she would. Well, she no, is she... brilliant. She is amazing. Amazing great. Harmonise. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, that's enough. I uh, once did was I say, blind. No, hang on. Um, did I, stop it. Yeah. Did I did I say embosses last forever? I probably did. I know uh, you said that the Perkins Brailler lasts forever. <laughs> I disagreed with that because um, I've seen so many Perkin Brailler graveyards out there with broken <laughs> chains and keys missing, um, and they are incredibly difficult to get fixed. Yeah, uh, that's true. There does seem to be sort of people random people I think you sit in garages I think they're called yeah. <laughs> anvils and <laughs> braziers but yeah I mean those people who sit in I think it's like someone in a garden shed who just, just spends their life getting sent Perkins brailers to fix um, hey, it's a living well that's right I mean there's, there's <laughs> yeah it feels like it should I'm be in a, a museum change. it really does feel like something that should be in a museum but uh, I mean I've got mine over here and it's it's brilliant I love it oh that's that's how they break. Everyone does that. I know, I know. It's not good for it. I know. Every time I do it, I feel guilty. I feel like I, I tap it on this little head. I go, sorry. Uh, right. But yeah, good point, Camille. Thank you for that. I will look forward to opening up my embosser and finding out it's absolutely useless. Yes. Seized, closed or shut or whatever. Yes. But of yeah. course you need to maintain them, though. Yeah, of course yeah, you do. Spray, yeah. spray some oil on there. I just know, randomly spray yes. oil over it. Yeah, I know. Cooking Chip oil, fat. anything. Yeah. Just some butter. <laughs> Please do not, do not, not smear your embosser in butter. Or oil. We are not technically trained. What was, it we, what was it we told people not to do yesterday? Was eat it? their cane, was eat, it? Eat their wee walk cane, that's right. So <laughs> you know, impor- 
this this show has really been an education this week. Don't eat white canes, yes. and don't pour butter over embossers. Yeah, we need some sort of jackass intro, don't we? I, know. <laughs> I don't think we need it. To be fair, I think we've covered that one just by being here. Uh, Thank right, you, let's go to Dan. Thank you, Camille, for that. Uh, Dan has written in as well uh, regarding our topic on Braille. Uh, we're still getting emails about this topic. No surprise. Uh, so this is Dan's take on this, and uh, once again, read by Laura. Hello, Stephen and Sean. I have been enjoying your discussions about Braille versus QWERTY input. As far as I know, Braille and QWERTY input have been available since the first note-takers with a refreshable Braille display were introduced. Blazy had the Braille light and type light. Humanware had Braille and QWERTY versions of their note-takers. I think a good way to think about the challenge of Braille versus QWERTY is to separate the issues of Braille input and output from keyboard navigation. That will help us produce good solutions which work for everyone. I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all solution. Everyone has their own comfort level with Braille and assistive technology. I think addressing Braille itself is a good place to start. I don't agree that Grade 2 Braille input is confusing. It is easier for someone like me who has always used Braille. For people who learn Braille later in life, there is the possibility of entering and reading text in Grade 1 Braille, whether the person is using a Braille or QWERTY keyboard. A person who learns Braille later in life might want to use Grade 1 Braille for writing short notes and labels. I think this is an appropriate use of Braille. An advanced Braille user may want to use either Braille, QWERTY or both input methods. I use various Braille note-takers to communicate with my phone and computers. I primarily use the Mantis with my computer, so I don't need to worry about special navigation commands. I can type just like I would on any standard QWERTY keyboard. I prefer Braille keyboards when I use mobile devices or search for books from Bookshare or the National Library Service for the Blind. I think the greatest challenge is the interface between Braille displays and screen readers. Originally, each Braille display had its own communications program with a DOS-based computer. This provided an advantage where Braille display developers could include command sets to take advantage of the unique features of their devices – When I was using a DOS-based computer, I was able to take advantage of unique features with my Braille displays without worrying about compatibility with the DOS screen readers I used. The situation changed when developers determined that Windows and mobile screen readers should provide command sets for Braille displays. This might have been a good option if all screen reader developers had agreed to a common standard. Freedom Scientific created a unique Braille interface for JAWS and their focus displays. I found the commands difficult to remember. Some of these commands would not work with other Braille displays. When I use iOS and Android mobile devices, I find the two sets of commands difficult to remember. It would be better to agree to a common standard so a person using a Braille display with a Braille keyboard would not need to memorise multiple sets of commands. For the Windows operating system, I think screen reader developers could implement Windows keyboard commands which would work with any display. Perhaps this could be done with a Windows application. I think the iOS and Android situations are more complicated. In my opinion, Google lags Apple Braille support. If a person wants QWERTY input using the Mantis, they won't be able to use Android at all. I also wish that JAWS and NDA added support for switching between multiple Braille displays. I could use my Focus and Mantis to switch between Braille and QWERTY input. There is an NVDA add-on, Braille Extender, which is supposed to allow automatic Braille display switching. I can't get this add-on to work and don't know who to contact for help. There have been Braille displays with both a QWERTY and Braille keyboard, but they were expensive. I hope we can continue this discussion. I would like to raise the issue about dealing with the vast number of keyboard and touch gestures a person needs to memorise for any screen reader. Is there a simpler way? What about using gaming controllers to function like a mouse so a person can interact with a computer or mobile device without using a keyboard to navigate and select menu items and options? I don't have an answer for this question, but it is worth discussing. Thanks for the productive discussion and banter. I think this podcast keeps getting better and look forward to listening to it every day. Dan. Well, thank you, Dan. That's a huge compliment and (laughs) I really do appreciate that. I wish we felt that way sometimes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I think it's interesting. and I'm going to just start with that compliment at the end, if you don't mind, Dan, because I think the reason that you maybe think the show is getting better is because I think we're leaning into topics that perhaps we shied away from for years and it's because we were going through that experience of coming to terms with our vision and also losing vision. So there was two things going on at once. And I think as a result of that, we are leaning in more to what you might call blind world than perhaps we did before. And certainly if I was to go back to my earlier shows, you know, the previous show, not not this show, but, but the, the first show I did, 
I, I think you would find a very different Stephen Scott, someone who would shy away from Braille, who would talk about Braille in a way that like I couldn't even understand what 40 cell meant. Mm-hmm. I used to have to ask people, what is that? What does that mean? Because I had no idea. Perkins keys I was aware of, but that was kind of it. But I didn't really understand the input methods or how anything worked. I'm not saying I'm an expert now. I'm certainly not. But I understand the concepts a lot more than I used to. And I think that's the point. But to your your main point about the education and the learning and, and the use of this technology, I think this is part of the problem. What you have just described, Dan, is part of the reason why I think so many people are either put off Braille or feel it is entirely an alien concept to them. You know, we hear from, in our community, we hear a lot of people talk from the perspective of people who used and have used Braille for a very long time. Like you yourself said, you don't find grade two confusing because you learned it as a kid. You learned it growing up. So you're not going to face the challenges at all on that, right? You've you've got that, that knowledge. You've got that in your head. But for Sean and I, to sit down and learn grade two today, yeah, we could do it. But it's going to take us a lot longer to figure this out. And it would require an awful lot of work and effort in a way that it wouldn't have as a kid. Yes, of course, it involves work and effort, but it's different when you're a child. You just, you take this stuff in, in a Mm -hmm. different way. And, you know, I think about touch typing as the best example I can think. And I know you're the same with this. You know, touch typing for me, I learned it. I found it a nightmare at school. But when I look back, I think, actually, that went in really easily compared to, you know, what I was... You know, if I was to do, I have done now. I mean, I'm sitting with my fingerprint Braille books here. I've got my, my Perkins out and I sit there and I go through it and I go over it and over it and over it and try and commit as much as I can to memory. But it's not as easy today. I don't know if it's a case of our memory, our brain cells aren't as lively as they used to be. Or of course it is. someone's not sat over us saying, right, for the next hour, you're doing this. Well, that's that's a big part <laughs> of it. Yes, that is a big part. I, I did find, actually, in all seriousness, I did enjoy going to my Braille class because it did focus my mind on it. Yeah. And, I, and it was only an hour. And I used to hate it. I wished it was two or three hours. I could have sat there. Once I was there, I could sit there all day. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed it. And I liked the fact that it was focused when you're trying to do it on your own, it is more challenging because there's always something else to do. The calls are always coming exactly in. There's always something right. happening. Exactly. There's always a reason not to do it. Isn't it all about the other thing Dan brought up there, the standardization? I mean, doesn't that make total sense that you would have a standard set of, of uh, braille cords or commands to, uh, to do uh, controls, computer controls, or whatever it may, may be? I mean, th- this whole... Uh, each one is individual or, you know, it's different depending on which operating system you're using or screen reader you're using. It does seem like, you know, getting together and just, okay, let's hammer out something that these um, control cords are, are, are always the same across. I don't know how easy that is. I'm making it sound like, of course, it's obvious that that should happen because that's what it feels like. But it is sort of like saying, oh, screen reader should work the same. And we all know they don't. No, that's right. And, and, but, and look, look they, at the combination, they? though. I mean, you've, you've, you've got screen readers that are all different. You've got Braille displays that can be built differently. So the orbit range, for example, quite different to the Focus and the Cuma Wares and the Hymns. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have all this difference. You have different devices. Like the, the, is it the Q Braille, the one that had the keys? It's got like the kind of QWERTY keyboard keys, but the Braille Perkins input keys in the middle. And right. that's the Q Braille. I mean, that's another world again. And the thing about this is what it does is it, it puts a real impetus on the companies to create something that really can never die. They build, whatever the design is, there could be a hundred designs, but every one of them has to continue, if you think about it, right? Because if you've learned how to use the Braille and that format of keys and structure, you know, physical layout, everything else, Moving away from that, it, it's, like a, it's like someone's just yeah. taken the QWERTY keyboard and just tipped all the keys out and left yeah. you with four. You need to start again. Yeah. And, that's that's, right. and, and I will say, this is where I think blind people, in particular, totally blind people who have been uh, learning Braille since birth, well, not, from, not since birth, but from, from well, school, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they are so adaptable to change, way more adaptable. That's why, you know, I... I kind of loosely use the term super blind here, but I mean this in a real compliment. I really do. Because I think the people who actually read Braille and use it every day and deal yeah. with all these challenges and problems that come along and still get there, 
I, I absolutely take my hat off to you all. I, Dan included here, right? I, I totally take my hat off to you because I am so impressed and hugely jealous most of the time because I think, wow, how you achieve what you achieve with all this nonsense, this swirling around of different here and an update. I mean, we get an update and voiceover doesn't work properly. Okay, how does that then? There was another layer with Braille, a whole yeah. other layer of yeah. learning, of problems, of challenges that we just don't even think about because we're not maybe using that thing or we can just go back to using the screen, touch screen or whatever, you know, and, and yeah, use voiceover. Yeah. I just, and, and you know, Android mixed into that, Windows, Mac, they all present their own challenges. So, yeah, I mean, I am, I'm just, I'm amazed at how people just, just get on and deal with that. Um, I'm so jealous. Yeah, people who I am. can just use Braille that way. It's- but it does, it does prove the point I've been saying about all this, that, that, that that standardization that, Dan, you talk about is so key because that's what puts me off. It's like when I was, when I was getting my Braille display from Access to Work in the UK from, from my employer at the time, I remember asking the question to a lot of friends of mine, which Braille display should I get? And I'd either get, get a Focus or get a Humanware. That was all I was told. Get a Focus or a Humanware. doesn't really matter what. Just, just get one or the other of those. And some people were firmly in the Humanware camp. Some people were firmly in the Focus camp. I never met anybody who was firmly in the Hims camp. And yet Hims, in my opinion, from, from spending a bit more time with those devices, seems to be even better in some regards. Certainly the build quality is quality, excellent yes. with Hims. Yeah. So I don't really know what's going on there. But maybe I just it was maybe just a group of people I was around. And I also think sometimes, if I'm honest, with access to work in particular in the UK, You've always been yes. kind of pushed to one or other company. <laughs> you need this. Yeah. Yes. And maybe Hims just didn't get into the mix on that, you know? And that, mm. that I think is probably part of the problem. It's got nothing to do with the company. It's got to do with the way that our system in the UK works, where it kind of pushes you towards particular companies. You get the sense that you're getting um, unbiased opinion, but actually they're trying to sell you something because that particular product is on sale or they've got a good deal on yeah. yeah, but anyway, that's another story. But, you know, it, it, does, it does present the problem. And ultimately, I think the biggest problem for people coming to Braille now is that there's a level of understanding that you need to get or at least get the concept of. And that's very hard to do when you're really just focusing on the dots and the reading. And, you know, yeah. buying a Braille display just feels like a minefield today. It does. And that's not even taking in the price point into consideration. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's a whole other story. Yes, exactly. Whew. Have we got time for another one? Um, we've got. I- I'm going to play this one in. We'll see if we get time to fit this in. This is from uh, Mary. Now, this might take us on a whole other direction, which we will what? not be able to talk about today. But this could be an interesting topic to discuss for next week. This is uh, Mary's email. Let's talk about the big dot in the middle of the room. The part about Braille that's complicated to learn is the touch portion. Braille is basically only made from the alphabet. I mean, 10 characters. Yes, there is a jumbo Braille for those who have less sensitive fingers, but try and get printed material in that format. I started learning Braille because my digital technology broke down and I had no communication set up other than digital. I also reached out to my blind community, asking why they didn't learn Braille, and again, I got the I can't feel the dots. Someone did a study that said if they just spaced them one millimetre further apart, people would be able to read Braille more easily. When I mentioned this to people, I got pushed back, saying it would make books cost more as it would increase the volume in an already ludicrous-sized volume in Braille talks costing money. But I ask you this question. What's the point of having Braille in a size no one or only a limited number of people can read? As Braille displays get better, that might help increase the number of people who can feel Braille – Feeling pins can be a whole lot easier than feeling paper dots. I get mad when I think of no one complaining to the large textbook industry that their larger text was costing more money. Now, here in the US, you can request up to five Braille books a month for free, so obviously printing Braille has become less expensive. My question to all this Braille sustainability is, what's the goal? The goal should be to make Braille as easy to learn as possible, to include as many people who want to learn – Hadley reinvented its systems to create, as they say, Braille for everyday use. I think the Braille publishing companies need to do the same. Somewhere along the line, I'm supposed to be able to come to this point where my fingers will magically know this small compact dots. Until that time comes, can we not have Braille at least one millimetre further apart? Is that too much to ask? 
I think diabetics and other similar individuals with less sensitive fingers have just as much right to read and label their environment as much as anyone. P.S. New York still hasn't distributed the NLS Braille readers. Texas got them first. Boo. <laughs> Boo to Texas. Texas. Right, okay. Wow. So sorry, okay. Texas. Um, we can't possibly comment on Texas. No, we're not going to go into that. <laughs> I'm not, not, not going to start there. But uh, that is a very interesting point. Not one I'm afraid we've got time to really delve into no. today. Um, but there is something about this that I think is really interesting. So here's my sort of very quick summation of that. I think, first off, if we were able to get to a point where Braille was able to be read on some kind of touchscreen, for example, maybe haptically, then we could actually read Braille, then in theory, then you could have the size of the Braille cell any size you want. You could even put spacing in there, mm-hmm. and that might make it more accessible to all. And perhaps that is the best solution for Braille in the long term. Someone coming up with some kind of device that can magically make Braille appear on a screen. If That's that was possible, yeah. well, that would change everything, right? Because then you could have the size of Braille, you could have as much Braille as you want, you could, as, as Mary says, have the spacing. Not something I've thought about, but, well, not something I've considered in this discussion, but certainly something I thought when I started learning it was, I wish these dots were just a bit further apart. Yeah, That would actually be really cool. Uh, so you're not alone in that one, Mary, and uh, I think that's a great idea. Great discussion point as well to uh, kick us off into next week. So there you go. That's next week's topic sorted. Wow. Yeah, send Tell in your you feedback. Think. We've got some really interesting conversations coming up, including, and I can't believe I'm saying this, blind people in space. You've made that up. Remember that story I told you about me on the bus (laughs) and telling the woman I worked for NASA? Well, maybe it's come true. Uh, Not for me, I should add, but a very interesting story coming up on Monday for sure. Uh, That is uh, it for this week. We are back, though, with the Double Tap Express. Uh, Tomorrow, join me, Sean, Michael Babcock and Damasi Thomas as we talk all things convention from this week. We'll get their take on all of it as uh, they join us for the wrap-up of the week here on AMI-audio and podcast. Uh, As always, thank you to AMI. Thank you to you, Sean, and thank you for all your wonderful feedback as well. We'll catch you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.